Okay. Uh, hi, everyone. Thanks, James. Hi, James. Um, as Steve said, we've, uh, this is the final one in our series of Born Identity. Steve said we've been doing it for about a year. I thought it was about since 1992. But um, it's, it's really... I'll start with a mini-testimony. Um, it feels very special to be doing this for various reasons, which I won't go into. But when Stephen Viv first said to me they were going to do a big study in kind of Ephesians 1, but Ephesians generally... I don't remember what I said, but I said actually, kind of a couple of weeks before that, that had been a passage that I'd been drawn to personally. Um, and so it feels quite, you know, a nice circle actually, you know, maybe God had this in mind all along. Um, but yes, yeah, so what we're going to do today is it's the final one. So uh, actually, we're going, to, we're going to be preaching about Ephesians through Galatians and Philippians. So I'm not actually, we've spent so many weeks, and go back and listen to them all, they're all fantastic about the content of Ephesians. We're going to talk about how we apply Ephesians, how we take hold of this identity that's in Ephesians 1, but all through Ephesians, uh, and I'm going to use Galatians and Philippians to do so. Um, and my starting point, and this is going to be very, I don't preach like normal people, I preach weirdly, so it's going to be quite up and down. But the first thing Steve, one of the things Steve said to us right at the start, which I'm going to write down on this here, um, is Received, not achieved. It's, it's, it's inspired wisdom from Steve. So that's where we started. But the problem is this. Um, if this is the case, which it is, and that's what Ephesians 1 is all about, why is it not easy to receive it? And I don't know about you, and I'm not going to do a show of hands, because if no one puts a hand up, it will like, undermine my entire message. But I don't know about you, I find it very hard to constantly be in receipt of this identity. And we've gone through this series, it's one of those things where at the end of a message, you feel, completely, like, you feel free, you've heard that identity again. In that moment, you've received it, and you've realized all those other things you try and do to earn identity, it doesn't matter. And you go back into the week, and it kind of all gets a bit muddied again. So once it's 100% true... The problem is, why is it so hard to take hold of? If someone offers a gift that we want, we don't find it hard to, let, to then keep hold of it. We don't let go of it again, time and time again. So this is what we're going to talk about this morning as a kind of end of our series, is how, why this is so hard, one of the reasons why it's so hard, and how we can then move on to take hold of it. So um, those of you who know me, I kind of have two modes, one slightly a bit weird, and one very heavy. So heads up, some of this is going to be weird, some of it's going to be very heavy. So that's how I operate. So we're going to start in Galatians. So if we can have the first passage up. And Olaf's going to come up later on, by the way. That wasn't random. Um, and one other thing, quick thing. Uh, by the way, I realized last time I did a little thing at the weekend where I was wearing a slightly unusual T-shirt. And this was chosen. So just so no one gets too distracted by it, it's a man on a dinosaur saying, to the disco. Um, just so you know what it is, so you don't get bored and stare at my T-shirt. But there's a reason why I'm wearing this, which I'll explain later. So right, so we're starting in Galatians 1. So this is a letter from Paul to the church in Galatia. Um, and he starts the letter pretty early on saying this. 
I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. And then later on in the same letter, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So you can see that our challenge in grasping the whole good news is not something new. I find this passage crazy, personally, because again, what Paul is saying here is that he went to Galatia, he preached the gospel, which, given that he wrote Ephesians, probably included that part of the good news which is that we now have this identity in Christ. This achieved, this, sorry, I keep going to get that wrong. This received identity in Christ. And yet what he's found when he's heard from the Galatians is that they're going back to the old Jewish way of earning their salvation, earning who they are, earning their identity. And he can't believe it. He calls them foolish Galatians twice. He's astonished by the fact that they're going back to this other way, this other way of being, the other way of seeing themselves. And so this is the question, why on earth does this happen? And I'm going to propose the reason, and this is a question I posed at the weekend away as well. Uh, There's one reason which underpins all of this. And the question is, I could ask uh, a question here, but I won't, there's too many of us. I could go around and ask each of you individually, what's something you are particularly proud of? And I would get almost 90% of you would say something that you have achieved, that you have done, something you worked really hard to do and was given to you. Um, Some of mine are some of my achievements in academia, not because I particularly value that too highly, but because, uh, you know, full disclosure, my my teacher cheated for me to pass my English GCSEs. True story. Uh, And yet my two degrees are primarily writing-based, and I worked very hard for those, and that's something I'm very proud of. But that's something I achieved. And this is the question, is we go through life asking kind of a question over and over again. trying to find ways to be valuable. And for me, this is one of the big drivers of these other identities. So, yeah, if we look at now what's come up on the screen. So some of you will know who's on Facebook. I know not everyone is. Um, I started precursoring this sermon about, I don't know, four weeks ago-ish. Because um, this is something, as I'll come on to later, something very personal to me, very powerful to me, this idea. Um, and as I've kind of thought about it uh, quite a lot, um, you really, when you start paying attention, there's a lot of things in life which are offered to us that make us valuable, make us feel good about ourselves. So what I did, um, I made a very quick survey. Um, I'm a researcher as part of my professional job. Um, so I made something which I've been thinking about for a long time, but this seemed a perfect time to do it. So what I did, I put a survey on Facebook for us all to do, um, and I asked a set of questions. The first set were, what makes us feel good about ourselves, which are the orange bars, and the purple ones are what makes us like other people more often. And it was, a, it was a quite a general thing. I know some of you did leave some comments, and it is quite hard to do. 
But there's a couple of things I want to point out here. So the things which I kind of know from my own experience and talking to friends, some of the things that we find value in in life are aesthetics, how we look, achievement, things we've achieved, capability, things we're very good at doing, morality, whether we're doing the right thing or the wrong thing, our personality, how we act around other people, and relationships. There's far more than that. They're the kind of six that I kind of thought were the most common. And I've never done this before. I don't want to test it on a group of people. And I have one prediction for Christians especially. And you didn't fail me. Well, we, I did this as well, so we didn't fail me. So again, thinking back on what we talked about Galatians, well, the Galatians were going back to this legalistic, moralistic way of earning themselves. So what did we say? And this is about, I think, about 29 of us in the end. Um, so that orange bar, when we say what makes us feel good about ourselves, there's quite a few things, and that's, that's normal, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But the biggest one we said was doing, basically doing the right thing. So I said things like living up to our ethics, doing the right things in difficult situations, showing love to other people. But then you look at the purple bars, and we ask, what do you find valuable, or what makes us like other people more in general? All, they all drop, pretty much, um, except for morality. So again, not only do we feel good about ourselves when we do the right thing, we actually, whether we know it or not, and we're admitting it here, we put onto other people that actually I'm going to like you more. I'm going to put a bit more value on you if you do the right thing. So when you look at it from that point of view, and thank you all for walking straight into what I was hoping you were going to do. <laughs> Just, I couldn't have written that any better, really. Um, Galatians starts to make a lot more sense. You know, why is it so hard to hold on to this Ephesians 1 identity of, of, I should have kept it written there, of received, not achieved? Why is it hard to keep the identity of adopted sonship, of, of forgiveness in Christ? Partly because still in us now, towards other people and to ourselves, we really value people that do the right thing. So why, why is it surprising that we hold on to that? Actually, I'm someone that does the right thing. I'm someone that actually, I want to keep hold of this, keep hold of this way of thinking. Um, I want to keep coming back to scripture so that I'm not, you know, departing too far. But the truth is all sorts of things we give this power to. I've kind of put six things up there, but there's all sorts of things uh, in life, whether it's uh, sporting ability, uh, relationships with family members, um, being a parent, being a son, whatever it is, uh, being a daughter, these things we can put our value in and feel good about. Um, so if we can go to the next slide, I just want to show you, now we're jumping to Philippines. So this is exactly the same thing happening in Philippines, but it's, it's kind of built into the rest of the letter. The Philippines are being tempted to go back to a legalistic way of thinking, earning their identity, their, their forgiveness, their value by their law, by doing the right things. And this is what Paul says. So Paul says to them, if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in other words, if anyone thinks they have all sorts of things in life that make them valuable in front of God, I have more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people, he's of the people of Israel, he's of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, he was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, as for zeal, as for enthusiasm, as for doing the, quote, right thing, he persecuted the church, because that's what um, the Jews initially did. And as for righteousness, based on the law, he was faultless. So what Paul is showing here is exactly what I've been saying. Even then, in that context, it was all about doing the right things. So these are all the things that Paul knew. If he wanted to, he could say, I'm valuable because I've done all these things. And if you look at them in terms of what they're talking about, the first one, uh, he went through the rituals, being circumcised. Probably wasn't his choice, but he was circumcised. Um, he's of the right ethnicity, from the right tribes. 
He had the right educational status because of the uh, knowledge status. And he was doing the right things. He was passionate. So he had all the things to make him feel like, actually, I've kind of earned my identity. But he wasn't doing it. And the real problem of this is, and there's a phrase uh, which kind of sums up, which is conditions of worth. It's a counselling phrase, um, kind of from my kind of counselling training background. And there are these things we go about in life, we pick up these things from other people. So if you think back to that graph, the reason I was gunning at that is because not only do we in ourselves have things that say, if I do this, this will make me valuable and who I am. Other people are always giving them to us as well inadvertently and we give them to each other as we've kind of just shown there we go around telling each other inadvertently through our behaviors and our choices i value you more if you do the right thing uh the others were quite low which is quite pleasing i wonder if it's on that kind of underplaying some of those because this is the truth often they don't come from ourselves and they definitely don't come from god they come from other people there was a third question which i could have asked across all those areas but it was going to make it too long which is what does society value and I would have guessed all those things we would have said. Society values all of things, these things very highly. If you are capable, if you are good-looking, if you've achieved a lot, um, if you have great friendships and popularity, if you're really extroverted, then you're more valuable. And these things continue to come into who we are. And that's the third key thing, which is these conditions of worth drive our identity. They're so powerful that actually we start to become them. And the reason why uh, this is particularly so powerful to me um, is it's a big part of my testimony, or part of my life testimony anyway. So um, about, I don't know, it's been, it went on for a long time, but probably around the age of like 16 to 19, uh, I suffered quite badly with kind of a lot of anxiety, periods of depression. Um, and I think around the age about 22-ish, I kind of decided... That was enough. I was kind of done with that. It wasn't, wasn't right. It wasn't working for me. It took me a while. Um, ironically, because I subsumed it part of my identity. That was kind of who I was. Um, and I went to see a Christian counsellor. Basically, this is, this is really before I did my own counselling training where, where this all came about. What I realised is that, and he helped me see, I'd basically given over my sense of identity to other people. Other people as I'd grown up, and this is kind of true of all of us, as I've grown up, people start saying, you are this, and we revalue you when you are this. Or when you are not that, actually, kind of, we value you less. And you picked, I picked up so many of these. Um, and I didn't realize it, because that was, I thought that was who I was. Um, you know, and for me personally, which I'll again show about a bit more in a minute, um, it was things about being kind of outgoing in public. Because I'm not actually a very outgoing person, generally speaking. Um, I prefer smaller groups, but actually what I built into myself was when I was in that kind of quiet, introverted state, I wasn't good enough. And actually I needed to be much more outgoing and energetic. So that was one of the big ones, and there's all sorts of other ones. Um, but as we unpick these, I suddenly realised, no, actually this isn't who I am. This is what other people have told me I am. This is what other people have told me I have to be. Um, and just the freedom that comes from that awareness was incredible. You know, and I was very fortunate that only in about 10 weeks or so, kind of, most of that anxiety and depression kind of fell away, or at least I was far more in control of it, and it's kind of been gone ever since, which is fantastic. Um, so I guess in, in the language we often use, these were lies that I'd taken hold of, but I didn't realise where they come from. They're lies about myself and who I was and what made me valuable, who I was. Um, and the truth is it's not, it's not finished yet. So if you go to the next slide. So 
it's probably a bit too small to see, but this is a picture from my notebook, um, which I take to church all the time and write in. And I took the, I wrote this down a few months, about months or so, into coming to Ballon Vineyard, because um, I really struggled when I came here, and the reason I struggled is because I still now, <laughs> because of Steve. Um, <laughs> no, I really, I really struggle because. I still have a really impure identity, really impure. Um, and those things on the left, some, you know, this is very open right now. But those things on the left, so I've written, this is where you can see some of the things I put in the survey. Aesthetics, humor, intelligence, knowledge, popularity, serving others, uh, fashionable, seeing as seen, uh, being seen as leading, uh, and giving to others and being valuable to others. Basically, those are the things that I realize I've built into my identity. I was all those things. And if I wasn't all those things, I wasn't good enough. Um, and I felt, you know, that was leading to my kind of anxiety and depression. And you can see on the right-hand column, but the truth is those are still things that I know people value in me. I know those things are true. But the column on the right, I've started doing some question marks and crosses. The crosses are the ones I know I've kicked. Those are no longer part of my identity. Um, the question marks are the ones I'm not really sure about. Um, and the ticks, the ones that, truth be told, I still know are there. I know I feel really good about myself. I know part of my worth is built into people thinking I'm intelligent, people think I am no stuff, people seeing me as a leader. And when I came here, obviously, as you'd expect, no one saw me as any of those things. No one knew me. And I found that really hard. I'll be totally honest with you. I found it really hard. And this is why I sat and wrote this down, because unless I knew what these lies were, I couldn't continuously keep rejecting them. I couldn't continue to say, no, 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 this is, that's not who I am. I am Ephesians 1 identity. I am adopted child of God. I had to know what they are in order to be rejecting them and kicking them away, taking every thought captive, as Paul says in Romans. And this is the truth. Um, well, now, now I'm going to go weird again. So this is how it looks. I promised someone to do lots of visual um, aids, so here's another one. So this is why I picked this T-shirt. Hopefully everyone can hear me like shout if you can't because um, I need to move along. So this is, I picked this T-shirt because this is like my child of God identity, okay? This is my most childish T-shirt. T-shirt is also 14 years old. Um, I bought it on my 18th birthday. Um, so what happens is, this is my identity. This never comes off, just so you know. This is never going to come off. It's, uh, but what happens is, someone tells me, or I decide, actually, no, I want to be, I want to be, I don't know, let, let, let's keep this personal for me now. I want to be a leader. And I put on another identity. I mean, straight away, my child, my child of God identity has started to got hidden. It's not gone, it hasn't disappeared, but it's been hidden. But then, of course, it's not quite as simple as this. Because then, you know, you go to the workplace, for example, and someone says, oh, actually... You're kind of you're really good at your profession, and they hand me another one. And it, this is the, if I accept it, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm a pretty, I'm a decent in the workplace kind of guy. And already my real identity is getting further and further away from my kind of awareness and consciousness. And of course, the hard thing is when things aren't going well at work. So I've owned this. And I'm like, yeah, this is me. But then, for some reason, it's taken away from me. I don't know, I get a bad appraisal, I get fired. I'm now desperate for that t-shirt back, because I've decided that's who I am. Even though my actual identity is still hiding here, it's never been taken away from me, I didn't do anything to earn it, I'm desperate for that one over there. 
And this is, you know, this is this is the hard part of it. When I did my survey, I only kept it in the positive side because it's harder to do on the negative side. But if if I had asked, um, what makes you feel bad about yourself? These are the real things. What do you really struggle with? What makes you anxious? What makes you angry? What makes you really depressed? These are the things which, for me anyway, and I would, I would guess and offer to you, these are the things which are, that threaten what we've subsumed into our kind of impure identities. These are the T-shirts that someone has either given to us or we've looked at and said, I really want to be that person. I want to, be, I want to own that. I want to be that. And they've put it on. And then someone's threatening to take it off. You're like, uh-uh, you cannot take this off. So I know, I'm totally, you know, again, being totally honest, I know too much is built into me, and I'm going to come back to this at the end, doing even things like I'm doing now. This is way too much built into my identity. And I have to be really, really careful when it's offered to me. Because if I take it too strongly, I forget this one. Um, and if people, and the problem is, and this and Christians are, well, not just Christians, but the, the, what happens most in the church context is that um, people love offering them to you. They love saying, you know, you are that, you know, in a really positive sense. Like, we see you as that. And that's not a bad, obviously not a bad thing, so that's about gifting, and I'll come back to this at the end to make it a bit clearer. But we, t- we love taking them. Like, I love doing stuff like this. I love it. Um, it makes me feel alive. And that's not a bad thing, but if I take that into my identity, like if Steve never ever asked me to preach ever again, which is entirely possible, <laughs> after this one, then... Then I'm going, like, I'm going to struggle, and I'm going to have to keep reminding myself that was never who you were. You were never that. You were only ever this. Um, but please let me preach again. No, <laughs> kidding. Um, so no, I'm not kidding. Um, so again, I want to come back to scripture. Um, so if we go to the next slide, I think. So back in Galatians again. So. Um, the bit I've underlined there, obviously it's, it's my underlining. It says, formerly when you did not know God, you were, slave, you were slaves to those who by nature were not gods. But now that you know God, or rather were known by God, again, that's exactly what Ephesians is. It's not that we came to God and got his identity. God came to show he knew us and gave us his identity. It's all about God. But now that you are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. So again, for them, their conditions of worth, their false identities were people that obeyed the law and did what the law said. That's what it means by special days and months and seasons. But Paul is saying, why are you going back to these things which hold you captive, that you're desperate to hold on to, which when they're over there and you're desperate to go and get and you can't have, it's enslaving you from living into your real identity. Um, So again, it's exactly what Paul is saying here. Um, I'm going to quickly, because I've been talking for a while now, um, invite my wife up. Because um, this is something, you know, you might know Jen's also a more trained counsellor than I am. Um, we talk about this quite a lot. And I kind of wanted to have another voice kind of sharing Jen's experience of, of managing this dynamic. I've never seen someone display so many T-shirts in one preach before. Well, so well, he can bring the next not, next time if there is a next time. Um, so I have just finished, actually, apart from kind of hours, um, finishing my diploma in counselling. And it's been a really interesting journey because it's taught me to become a lot more self-aware. And some of that is really good and some of that is really painful and really exhausting. Um, But I think, like Phil said, we chatted about this a lot. 
And I, I think what I've learned about myself, but it's not just been through the counselling training, but through friendships and relationships, is that a lot of my self-worth is probably tied with... So if, if I started with, where, am I, where is my self-worth rooted in? Where does it come from? And then quickly, like, how am I working on changing that where it's maybe not feeling healthy? And I would say that my self-worth is tied to being needed or valuable to people, being able to give to people, being able to love people, being able to look after people, being able to meet need. And some of that is really good. And I think actually what has been quite confusing for me, recognising this as my, like my main area of self-worth, is that it's very tied to Christian teaching. And some of that is truth, and some of that is really powerful. But some of that, I think, can start to become works. And so learning to sift through where it's works, and that is not identity, and where it's truth, and that is God's gifting, is, is a constant battle that I face. And as I've become more aware of that, trying to learn how to separate it out so that I can recognise where, yeah, this is from God, this is part of who I am, and I've been placed in this situation for a reason, and I'm looking for this, or I want this, or I'm doing this because it makes me feel better, is quite challenging. So that's been quite a confusing journey, because it's like I feel like a lot of that self-worth is very, very tied to my faith, and so it's just working out where is this positive and where is this hindering me or making me feel less than in a way that it that doesn't feel right. But doing this series on like our identity in Christ has just really been pushing me to think more about I'm aware of these things, but what am I doing about it? And I think there's probably three things that I'm trying to work on doing as regularly as possible to help with that. And that would be kind of reflection. And then once I've reflected on things and started to work things out, or if I'm struggling with that, accountability. And I think that's one of the things that I, that I always admire in people is that capacity to be vulnerable because it takes a lot. Um, so to find people that we feel safe with, and it may be a range of people, it may just be one or two people, but to be accountable to them and say, I'm really struggling with this right now. I don't feel good enough because of this, and I, I want you to stand with me. And then the third thing would be to pray over it. And that is something that I really struggle to do, but to bring those things in prayer and say, God, I'm really struggling with this sense of I'm not good enough and I need your help with this and I need you to remind me of your truth. So that's a bit about the journey that I'm going on with this. So this is... uh the, the next statement, which I won't write on there because it's not working. But um, we, you'll, we, we will never stop being offered these other identities. We'll never stop being offered these other conditions of worth. The things, quite often, if they're ingrained in us, we'll find it... Uh, it may be hard to forever kick them, um, especially when you're always in a temptation. So, if, for example, if you build your identity, again, let's bring the church context into it about serving in the church... And you keep serving, that's, that, that uh, temptation is always going to be there to, to build that into yourself. Um, but here is the kind of ultimate truth, and this is kind of one of our takeaways before I finally close with some practical points. Um, I'll start with this one. Steve and Viv are not pastors. It's awkward, isn't it? Um, Steve and Viv are not pastors. They are adopted, unconditionally loved children of God long pause, who happen to be currently pastoring a church. 
It wouldn't matter if tomorrow they said, we, you know, we, this isn't right for us anymore. It would not stop them being children of God. That's their primary identity. You know, Jen is not my wife. Full disclosure. No, she is. She is. Jen is not my wife. She is an adopted, unconditionally loved child of God. Long pause. Who happens to be my wife. Which is great. But it's not, it's not really who she is. You know, SP is not annoyingly tall Frisbee player. Right? He is an adopted, unconditionally loved child of God. Short pause. Who's a really annoyingly good Frisbee player. Mm. Right. You know, James and Lauren are not worship leaders. They are unconditionally loved, adopted children of God who currently happen to be worship leaders. So this is the key, you know, if we, uh, why I had Olaf at the start. So we said at the start, identity is received, not achieved, which is completely true. But this is the kind of the bookend to that. Is our identity is chosen, not frozen. That's right. Let it go. Let it go. I can't. Okay. So we always have to be choosing this Ephesians 1 identity. <laughs> it is received, not achieved, but it's have to choose it. You have to choose it all the time. Okay, so really quickly, what, uh, how, what can we do about it? What are our takeaways as we, as we finish this series? Uh, number one, really copy Jesus. Always a good one. Can't really preach without bringing Jesus into it. Always copy Jesus. Really quickly, so we know when um, Jesus was baptized, right at the start of his ministry, um, the Father's voice came down saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. That was before he'd done anything. Before he'd done anything, his identity was set. And I think this is how he, for example, Jesus could do all sorts of things like go through the triumphal entry where he had all these people saying, be something else, be something else, we want you to be something else. And he was able to obviously in his own self say, that's not, no, that's not, I'm not going to accept that. Um, and more so, which I think is incredibly powerful, which I was thinking about, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed the prayer, if you can take this away from me, please do. How could he do that unless he was so secure in his identity as a son of God that he could even ask for his main mission to be taken away? That's how secure he was. That's how he had separated out obeying God and being a son of God. So for me, his, what his model speaks of, and you could have done a whole sermon on this, but that was too long, is he had the identity of a son, but the response of a servant. Because then he said, but not my will, but yours. He had the identity of a son, for the response of a servant. So that's the first thing, follow Jesus' model. Second thing, prayer. Jen mentioned it. So in Ephesians, we had a whole sermon on this, and it's fantastic. Ephesians 3, Paul says, For this reason I pray that you may understand the breadth and depth of the love of God. And I just find it amazing and both challenging that he doesn't say, just take it, just take it. You need to pray, God, you need God's help. We need God's help to do this, to take this battle on. So we need to pray about this. When we have ministry time in a moment, that's what hopefully we can do. Third one, which again is hopefully why some of me and Jen's testimony will be helpful, is you have to know where these things come from. Um, it doesn't need to be anything kind of counselling, anything like that, but know the things which are at risk for you that you kind of own as your identity whether it's what you do in the workplace, whether it's your status as a parent, whether it's your status as a child, whether it's your relational status, 
uh, or anything, whether it's your nationality, these things which you know you love, really love, make you feel really good and proud about yourself, they're the ones which aren't bad, but they're the ones which are in danger of becoming things you co-earn, co-own, sorry, and put on a T-shirt and own that just as much as your identity in Christ. Fourth one, know the truth. That's the key, and that's what's been so good about this Ephesians series. Know, read Ephesians, know the truth, pray it over yourself. Know who you really are, know what your pure identity is. So when those battles come, you can reject them. Um, and then very lastly, we've got to help each other. Um, again, it's, it's fantastic in some sense that we all said that we really value other people, like other people more when they do the right thing. But we have to be so careful that we don't turn that into putting legalism on each other that we don't actually like someone more when they're more obedient than we like someone less when they're maybe not. And then doubly so with uh, and serving in church. So here's my kind of most practical thing for myself. If, this is a big if, I'm not going to assume this, anyone wanted to come up to me and say, you know, you, you value something I said this morning, don't say that to me. Say to me, Phil, you're an adopted love son of God. Give it a long pause and say, and you were pretty good this morning. Don't, you know, help me by not feeding into this is who I am. This is not who I am. I'm a son of God. This is just something I'm doing in response. So I'm going to invite the band back now. And we're going to have a time of ministry, which we do here at Vineyard. So there's a few offers I want to make if people want to respond. So the first one, if you're new here or visiting here or been here a long time, if you feel like you've not experienced kind of just an overwhelming pure love of God that comes from your identity and your sonship and your daughtership, then we'd love you to come forward and pray for you. Um, second one, if you're someone who you know, something I've said or something you already know, you know there are lies that you're struggling with, that you really, people are telling you about yourself or you know for some reason you believe about yourself that you want to try and reject, then again we'd love to pray for you. And this third one, which, you know, is you often say, but I want to say it, and I think it's important, is if you know there are lies about yourself that you are thinking that are inflating you, that actually I'm really great because I'm this, then, again, completely optional, I'd invite you to come up and pray repentance with us, try and reject those lies, that you're not really great because you're successful. That makes no difference. You're just a pure son or daughter of God. So we do invite you, if you want to come up, and people will pray for you. If you would rather think about these things where you are sat, then obviously do that as well. There's nothing special um, about the front. It's just a way we can know who would love uh, prayer for them. So I just invite the band to start praying. And yeah, if any of those things are you, if you would love to experience the love of God, if you're alive, you want us to help reject whether they're dragging you down or bringing you up, um, both are lies, uh, then please do come and we'll pray for you. Thank you.